Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. reading today comes from Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son. And he named him Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Some years ago, I went for a walk with a friend who had a lot on her mind, and she wanted to talk about her mentor. And she said, she's been really kind to me over the years, my mentor, uh, introducing me to all of the leading people in my field. But, But now, since her marriage has kind of fallen apart, she's become a bit strange. She's now dressing like, like she's my age. And, and she seems to want to go to all, all the, the events and parties that I go to. And she's always asking about my husband and my children. And it's getting a little creepy, she said. And so I responded, you know, it, it sounds like she wants to be you. Have you thought about that? What, what on earth are you talking about? She said, there is no way she wants to be me. I mean, she's like the most famous person in our field. I'm just like this minnow in her pond. And so I had to stop us from walking 
I had to stop my friend and I had to look at her in her eyes and say, look, your life, your life, you have beautiful children, you have a good husband, you have a healthy career, you, who cares really? Who cares? Who's published the best book on this and, and gets to be the keynote speaker at that? This, this woman doesn't care about any of those things. She wants what you have. And in her misery, she somehow got it into her head that the closer she gets to you, emotionally and physically, the more she's going to become like you. Maybe turn the clock back to when she had what you have. And my friend was horrified by this. And she said, I've never realized that people even think that way. That, that's because you're different from most people, I said, especially most people around a competitive work environment like yours. Your life isn't consumed with envy. Everybody around you is comparing themselves to each other all the time. Everybody's constantly coveting the acclaim and the security and the recognition or the salary or, or the family or the title or the, or the parking space. But you seem to be oblivious of all of that. And that makes this woman envy you all the more. You know that, right? And my friend said, what can I do about it? Absolutely nothing. I wonder which person in this story you most closely relate to. As a pastor, I have come to think, I've, because I've seen it, that, that, that envy is the most widespread sin of them all. If only I had her looks or his intelligence or her children or their wife or their job or their house or their poise or their charm or their courage or their faith. We're in this sermon series right now called Believe, a Ted Lasso Christmas, in which we're exploring the themes and the virtues of Advent, hope and love and joy and peace through scripture, but alongside the lessons and lives of the hit Apple TV show, Ted Lasso. And, and one of the things I love most about this show, one of the things that makes it so real is how it shows the reality of envy at work permeating almost every relationship, right? Much like my friend's work environment and, and unfortunate competition she found herself in with the person who was supposed to be her mentor. The, the environment of the professional football club is ripe with envy in Ted Lasso. Whether it's Re Rebecca's envy toward her ex-husband Rupert, her, who used to own the team, or it's Roy and Jamie's strange envy of each other, or, or Ted's envy of Dr. Sharon's success at getting the team to open up to her, or Nate's envy of, of, of Ted and Roy's success and community respect. This show just has this beautiful, compelling way of showing the reality and the danger of envy, and it's unintentional seemingly disconnected effects at work in relationships and how envy and its malignant effects are really just rooted in this deeper unseen place of brokenness and guardedness and lack of self-worth, right? And, and, and if you get at that place, if you unravel 
that place, you unravel the whole system of envy and toxicity. And so when Ted gets on the scene at AFC Richmond and begins to try to unravel the toxic system overflowing with machismo and envy, that's, that's like baked into the culture there. He sets his sights on one player who he believes holds the key to toppling the entire system. Hey, Roy. Yeah, what do you want? It was real fun watching you out there today. You know, the boys really respond to you. It doesn't surprise me, though, you've had a heck of a career. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Never thought it would end being coached by Ronnie McDonald. You gonna let him call you that? I, I don't think he was referring to me. He thinks he's mad now. Wait till we win him over. He'll be furious. And that's the thing about toppling the system of competition and envy, right? At first, it can be so infuriating. But what Ted knows is that Roy seems to already know that something needs to change here. Ted sees in Roy what could be. Boy, Nathan's been harassed every single day by Jamie and his little side pricks. Right. So you know already? Yep. So you'll take care of it? No. I learned two pretty big lessons on the rough and tumble playgrounds of Brookridge Elementary School. One, if little Ronnie Fouch offers you a candy bar, you immediately say no and you get out of there. Because there's a good chance that little son of a gun has just pooped inside of a Butterfinger wrapper. No one ever saw him do it, but a couple of people ate it. Number two, if the teacher tells a bully not to pick on someone, it's just gonna make it worse. So you're not gonna do anything? Why are you winding him up? He's the one, coach. We're gonna make an impact here. First domino needs to fall, right inside that man's heart. Ted intends to topple the dominoes inside each of these players' hearts to get at the brokenness and the guardedness that, that got them to where they are and tease it up towards the surface. And to do this, he gives them each a gift, a gift that is supposed to tell them something about who they are, the beautiful and the complicated parts of who they are, a gift that is supposed to show them who they can become. Uh, one last thing, there's some gifts up in y'all's lockers, your little cubbies up there, so hope you enjoy them. had it with your mind games and your stupid gifts. I mean, what even is A Wrinkle in Time? It's a lovely novel. It's the story of a young girl's struggle with the burden of leadership as she journeys through space. Yeah, that's it. Am I supposed to be the little girl? I like you to be. Right, none of this matters because I'm just doing what everyone in this town is doing and I'm counting down the days until your gotcha's voice was grave. What do you understand? That it has to be me. It can't be anyone else. Roy knows.
knows it can only be him. That the burden of leadership falls on him to topple the system and culture of machismo and envy and to unite this team. Like Ted Lasso, today's gospel invites us to read the Christmas story through the lens of envy. The, the, the wanting what you don't have and the desperate anxiety to keep what you do have, that jealousy and that guardedness, it invites us to read through that lens. Joseph isn't center stage in the Christmas story. And if you and I manage to conjure up envy in our obscure and our ordinary lives, how much more so Joseph when he's up against God and the Holy Spirit. But let's look a little bit closer at what Joseph does, because I believe it gives us this, this clue, <laughs> jealous and envious as we are, as, as to how we should model our lives on his. Matthew gives us the basics of, of the story without a, accompanying sentiment. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph... But before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, an unexpected pregnancy is a deeply confusing thing, right? Today, as well as back then. It, it opens the door to um, a whole bunch of things that occupy the imagination, but, but about which it, it's hard to talk with almost anyone and it trespasses into a host of sensitivities from those who, who love to be pregnant but aren't to those who, who haste to judgment, perhaps, masks this more complex history of their own, all of which lead to the hesitant words, well, I guess congratulations are in order, <laughs> but add to that the tiny problem that the betrothed husband it is quite sure he's not the father of this child and that the historic penalty for adultery is death by stoning. And this is the social catastrophe on this grand scale. And when we look at this story, we immediately see it from Mary's point of view. It's terrifying, right? To think of the vulnerability of a teenage girl in a world that focuses so much on, fa on this fascination and, and anger on sexual transgression. Surely it's not fair or reasonable to make a young girl the focus of society's pent-up fury. We're, we're right to see through the eyes of Mary, but today I want to see through Joseph's eyes. And how Joseph responds to Mary's startling news. The first thing that Matthew tells us is that Joseph was a righteous man. In other words, Joseph was a keeper of the law. Anyone concerned for justice has got to have a, a lot of sympathy for Joseph here. He's done the right thing. He's gone through the formal betrothal, right? He's waited for this young girl uh, of 13 or 14 to grow a little bit older. He's preparing for when she'll come to his home and be his wife. And we talk a lot about justice in our society, but this is an illustration of where being just doesn't come close to dealing with the real problem. Justice suggests that the young girl should be exposed and humiliated. Joseph be exonerated from this <laughs> and no doubt some financial accommodation made to recognize the damages to his well-being and reputation from this public disgrace. But, but what if Joseph loved Mary? What if he loved Mary? What if he was jealous for her, not as a piece of property, but as the love of his life? What if he, he, he didn't stop loving Mary, whatever 
might, might she be up to, <laughs> might come her way. No money or, or public humiliation could, could give him what he really wanted. What he wanted was her, right? And then Matthew tells us that Joseph was unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace, and so he planned to dismiss her quietly. I, I don't think we should underestimate the, the tortured human emotions buried within this simple description. A lot of us quite happily sing songs, right, that, that say that Jesus took the sins of the whole world on his shoulders on the cross, but we, we wouldn't dream of, of shouldering a single sin of someone else's ourselves. This is the hidden, unrewarded part of love. Joseph shoulders the social shame himself and looks a fool in doing it, even though he, he's done absolutely nothing wrong here. I, wa I wonder if you know what that feels like. Somebody has hurt you, wounded you, taken advantage of you, but, but, but for their sake and for their salvation, you carry the shame on yourself. Ne ne never breathing a word of it. Finally, Joseph does the most sensible thing. He goes to sleep in this story. And in his dream, the angel of the Lord tells him who the father of Mary's child truly is and, and what this new baby will one day be and do. And our first reaction might be to say, that's all right then. I was a bit worried for a moment there about how Mary was going to get out of that one and how Joseph was going to endure the exposure and embarrassment, let alone his jealousy over his betrothed and his envy of being the true father, right? But, but now we see it's all God's doing all along. And it's part of this big plan to save everyone and be with them forever. And then that's, that's obviously all in order. Carry on. No problem then. But don't, don't lose the human part here. Joseph has got to revise everything he previously thought was normal. It's, it's not like regular life is ever going to return to him. He'll never be father. Never. He'll only ever be some kind of godfather. And this is the crucial moment in this story for Joseph. This is the crucial moment in the story for you and me. This is the crucial moment in Roy's story. There are three stories here. There's the, the story of envy. I want to be the only person in Mary's life. There's the, the story of justice. Uh, I shouldn't have to pay for other people's mistakes. So this time I'm going to just make someone else pay, right? And as you can imagine for Roy, too, there's this story of jealousy and envy, and there's the story of justice. And, and don't get me wrong, Roy's first moment of leadership has to begin with some kind of accountability, some kind of reckoning. Take a look at this. Do you even understand the influence you have on this team? But because your right foot was kissed by God, the boys look up to you. It's made me question my own faith. So when they pick on Nate, <laughs> and you laugh, yeah, they think it's okay. Right, because Nate's a weak baby and he can't do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, I'll take care of it. Nate's a good lad. Good.
but there's also another story. It, and it's called the grace story. It topples envy and it goes beyond justice. For Joseph, it goes like this. I've realized that I never was the main character in this story. This was always a story about God and how God was, was being present and saving God's people. It's, it's just that I never realized all that until now. It's amazing I get to be the godfather to this child whose father is God. I know my life will never be normal again. I know I, I know no one will ever fully understand my side of this story. I know Mary. Mary is one of the most special people there was, there ever was. And I'll always feel, feel small beside her. But I want to live a life open to God's spirit. I want to live a life that's always ready to be turned upside down by God. I want to be a person at, at whom others will point and say, that's what grace can do. And for Roy, that story means seeing Jamie for who he is and where he came from, the brokenness and the guardedness and all, and toppling once and for all that system of envy that eats away at leadership. Oh, and there he is, my son, my own flesh and blood. <laughs> Poor Jamie, my son. Now, maybe I'm thinking his heart's still in Manchester and that's why he missed that sitter in the first half. Oh, ho, ho. woo! You absolutely baldy. <laughs> You're baldy, what were you thinking? Oh, I'm only kidding, I'm only kidding, eh? <laughs> hey, look, uh, do me a favour and get them one bug past security. They want to go on the pitch, take a few snaps and all that, yeah? Rather than not... Yeah, they just want to look around. It'll only take a second. I'd rather them not. <laughs> okay, well, let's see if you can hear this. Hmm. You know that cool TV show you made? It just made it easier for Manchester City to kick you to the curb. And look where you are now. Twaddling about with a bunch of amateurs. No offence, no offence. <laughs> Don't turn your back on me, see? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, you can have that one for free. And you got a big time! Hey, let's have it, Jamie! Don't you forget where you came from! Watch the door! Oops. Joseph chooses the grace story. Roy chooses the grace story. And early on in this story of Ted Lasso, Rebecca chooses the grace story, which, which changed her relationships forever. 
All I want is to talk to you. I have something I need to tell you. Oh. Ted, I lied to you. I hired you because I wanted this team to lose. I wanted you to fail. Then I sabotaged you every chance I've had. It was me who hired that photographer to take the photo of you and Keeley. I set up the interview with Trent Krim, hoping that he would humiliate you. And I instigated the transfer of Jamie Tart, even though you'd asked me not to. This club is all that Rupert has ever cared about, and I wanted to destroy it, to cause him as much pain and suffering as he has caused me. And I didn't care who I used or who I hurt. All you good people just trying to make a difference. Ted, I'm so sorry. If you want to quit or call the press, I'll completely understand. I forgive you. You what? Why? Divorce is hard. And it doesn't matter if you're the one leaving or if you're the one who got left. It makes folks do crazy things. Hell, I'm coaching soccer, for heaven's sake. <laughs> In London. <laughs> I mean, that's nuts. <laughs> This job you gave me has changed my life. It gave me the distance I needed to see what was really going on. Yeah, but you and me, we're okay. Come on, just shake this hand. My arm's starting to get... I think that if you care about someone and you got a little love in your heart, there ain't nothing you can't get through together. You know what I'm saying? Nice seeing you down here, boss. You liven up the place. If you have a little love in your heart, there is there's nothing you can't get through together. That's the gospel, friends. We, we all face moments of truth that challenge us to choose which story we're going to be in, right? Maybe you're at such a moment right now in your life. Maybe, maybe you're facing injustice or illness or disappointment or betrayal or financial crisis or some big decision. What will be your story? Will it be envy and jealousy that, that want to have what others have and keep tight hold of what you have? Will it be righteousness and justice that, that you know, you got to do the proper thing even if it's not going to give you deep down what you want? Or will it possibly, could it possibly be grace? Will it be the love that, 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 that guides you from God? Will it be the love that lets God take over your whole story? Love that makes you realize you were always a small part of a story that was truly about God anyways. Love that melts envy and heals jealousy and transcends justice. Love that turns your whole life 
into worship of the God revealed in Jesus. Joseph knew well that love, and he and Mary could get through just about anything with it. Do you know that love? I offer this to you in the name of God the Father, in the name of Christ his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Jesus,